image I have on my phone of my son, Malachi. It's an image um, of him sleeping in his crib. Um, I took it on, it was on the video monitor. It was just one of those evenings where I thought, oh, I'll just check in on him. I pressed the little button and there he was laying in his crib and he never sleeps like this. He's usually like in some sort of like conglomerate like that. But he, there he was flat on his back with his arms stretched wide open. And I, I had this moment where I thought of Mary and I thought, wow, the amount of times that Mary must have looked at her infant son and just wondered, wondered at what kind of greatness could he really be made for? What kind of glory could a little child like this really have in God's salvation story? Well, little did Mary know, as the song puts it, that her son would one day save our sons and daughters. Little did Mary know that the child that she delivered would one day deliver her. Little did Mary know that the gospel began that evening in Bethlehem, with the angels singing and the shepherds running to see what had happened, that the coming together of God and his people was just beginning. We sing these words every year, and so often we overlook their significance. Hark the herald angels sing. Listen to the angels singing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. God and sinner reconciled. Already, now, Already now, God and sinners reconciled. But wait, no, no, you say, no, we can't talk about reconciliation yet. Jesus hasn't died and been resurrected. He hasn't become our Passover lamb yet. He hasn't sacrificed himself and given himself for our sins. It's too soon. We can't talk about this. But that was simply when his work was finished. This is when it began. It was already beginning. Jesus coming in our flesh, the, the Son leaving the glory of the Father, leaving the glory of heaven and coming in the form of a Middle Eastern Jewish boy with scraggly hair and dimples. This was already the first step in God's reconciliation work with his people. God restoring the relationship with his people. In other words, the king has come. The king has stepped onto the stage. We who were trapped in darkness have seen a light. Dawn has broken. The sun is beginning to rise. The whole play is about to change. The whole story has changed. And it's this story that we simply cannot allow ourselves to just gloss over in all the hubbub and distractions of this Christmas season. We're so used to moving on to the next best thing in every other area of life. It's sometimes hard to keep the story of Christmas, to maintain it as the thing that pulls us in in this season, to re-grasp the mystery year after year, and to keep the wonder of Christ in Christmas. As one author put it, in a world that seems not only to be changing, but even to be dissolving, there are some tens of millions of us who want Christmas to be the same. We long for the abiding love of goodwill which the season brings, believing in this ancient miracle of Christmas with its softening, sweetening influence to tug at our heartstrings once again. We long for this. Every year, we don't even realize it because we get so distracted. 
but we truly do long for this kind of a story to pull us together, for this kind of a story to be true. We just want to keep it the way it is. Don't change it. Don't change anything. Don't make it too modern. Don't add any contemporary. Just keep it the way it is. Keep it the way it is. We sing the songs, we attend the programs, we visit the markets, we engage with the season because we want everything we're doing to be grounded in something far more significant. For all of it to be embedded within a wondrous story that has truly changed the world. Even those who don't believe, we find this in this season, even for those who don't believe, they still long for something more to be a part of something bigger, something significant. We're made to long for transcendence, for glory, for something beyond ourselves, for a story that captivates us every year. We reflect on the peace of Christ coming and keep this story near to us, ultimately so that we may be kept by it so that we can be held in the wonder of it, grounded in a story much bigger than our own tiny speck of life, intrigued by the way it captures so much of our soul and our emotions every year. We want it to be special, don't we? We want this season to feel significant. We want it to be meaningful. We want it to be true, because this is the most wonderful story that's ever been told. There is nothing else like it. That Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, would late in time behold him come and actually become the offspring of a virgin womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus was pleased to do this. It wasn't onerous or burdensome or a chore. This delighted him to do this, to become one of us. Let me ask you a question. When are your earliest memories? Like when's, your, when's the, the, the oldest memory you can think back on? Maybe when you were three, four years old, maybe? For some of you, you're thinking, no, <laughs> like yesterday. <laughs> Maybe when you were two years old, some people you know, have, who have mind-boggling memories can think back to when they were two, but nothing before that, right? Like zero, right? Our brains simply weren't developed enough to be able to retain things from that season in our lives. And there's actually times where I'm with my son and I'm kind of bummed out that he's not gonna remember some of these interactions that I have with him. But it reminds me always that that's what Jesus was in. He wasn't some little brainiac sitting with his iPad in the manger planning out his missionary strategy. He became like one of us. He left the glory of heaven. He left communion with the Father and the Spirit, endless glory, endless goodness, to be born a helpless, fragile, non-communicative, tiny little human. He did that. He was just like one of us. He developed just like one of us. He learned to crawl and walk and climb like one of us. He learned to pull out pots from his mother's cupboard and smear yogurt all over his face and, and scream while his diaper was being changed, just like one of us. I, I love it when music follows me. <laughs> 
That was a really important moment if you didn't catch it. This is exactly what we cannot forget every year. We cannot forget that Jesus literally became one of us in every single stage of development, which means that every single stage of development in our human existence matters because he did it with us. He knows all of it. The glory of the incarnation is exactly this, that he would do this. That is his glory. Nobody, nobody would have thought that this was the Messiah, let alone God with us, the divine king by whom the cosmos was made, who ushers in the dawn of redeeming grace. Friends, this is nothing less than the most wondrous story that has ever been told across history, across generations, nothing less than the most miraculous and greatest story ever told. The innocence of a baby pointing to the future innocence of a sacrificial lamb who will sacrifice his own glory in order to bring innocence to a people who don't deserve it. Jesus became like one of us so that we might become one day like him. That the glory that he has may also be shared with us, that we can be raised to new life in a new birth as a new creation. Just listen to these words. Mild he lays his glory by, he lays it by. Born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. Second birth, a chance to be born again, to become a new creation, to have a do-over, a restart, a fresh slate, a declaration of innocence that neither you nor I have ever deserved. The gospel, in other words, begins in Bethlehem. That's where it all started. The good news that Jesus will later preach began when he was born. Because as a newborn, even though he couldn't speak, he was already declaring something. As an infant, even in a fragile and seemingly insignificant state, he was already implying something. That he had come. That the Lord had come. That when Mary looked into the eyes of her son, she was looking into the eyes of the Almighty, and he was already beginning his work of reuniting God and his people. As the prophet Isaiah put it, for to us, in other words, for our benefit, a child is born. For our benefit, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. No end. See, what Isaiah is telling us is that the time is coming. It's already come when God himself will be king. The king who was always meant to be king. That there will be a prince of peace who will usher in a new era, a new kingdom, where there are new rules and new ways of living. And that no longer, ultimately, it will matter. It won't matter any longer who's in control. What kind of king or ruling authority is on the throne? What kind of government is being run? Ah, 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Our allegiance, as we sung about earlier, our citizenship is now to the king who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, who started a new kingdom that has since spread across the planet. You know what's one of the most powerful things about Christmas is that every single Christian around the globe is celebrating the exact same thing on the exact same day. That is powerful. Our citizenship as believers all around the globe is to this king. And his kingdom is reaching out like arms outstretched on a wooden canvas, painting hope and comfort to all those who need to know that they're not alone, who need to know that they are a part of a greater story, who need to know that they're not trapped in a mess so deep that they can't come out of it. The whole world, the whole government, and the whole ordering of it is on his shoulders. All the power, all the glory, all the honor are owned and operated by him. Which is why his message is still leaking into every corner, finding the lost sheep who are walking in darkness and bringing light to where there has only been chaos. Everything was regained when the babe who was born became bare and broken on a wooden beam, shoulders drooping with the weight of the world's brokenness. He was the babe, the only babe who was born to die. He is the lamb, the innocent lamb who was led to slaughter and yet now sits on a throne in glory. And because he was born as one of us, and brought peace to the brokenness that had ruptured our relationship with the Father, there is now not a speck of dust on this earth that does not belong to him. This babe in the manger, this king, this prince of peace, now has ownership over every hair on your head. He is your king. There is not a blade of grass on this earth that is not a part of his kingdom. In other words, there is no border too restricted, no government too tyrannous, no situation too despairing, no relationship too broken, no mountain too high, no valley too low that will ever deter our King Jesus from reaching you. Nothing. From bringing his peace, from showering us with his mercy. He is our peace in the chaos. He is the light that lights out every darkness. He is our King of Kings. And we keep ourselves in this peace as we wait for His coming again. Because He has come. He's already come. And He's coming again. So hark, listen to the angels sing, and let's give glory to our newborn king. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, 
and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.